I don't know how many of you guys know Danny. He's on our pastoral staff, and he is a blessing to our church. And uh, I am impacted by that just as a reminder of how in life we can have extreme highs and lows in a matter of a, a couple weeks sometimes, you know, life and death. And, and uh, praise the Lord for Danny's faith, how he still will say, God is a good father, right? Even in the midst of something like losing your father. Um, so I'm just th- so thankful that he would share. Um, you may not know this, but you're allowed to drop your master in the sermon time. And so <laughs> I saw some people that were like just waiting for me to say it, you know. And then we ask you to put it back on afterwards. But, uh, but yes, that's our... That's it's the way we can uh, start to maybe transition to something different later, we'll see, uh, hopefully in time to come. But what I want to do this morning is I want to ask you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Malachi. And you might be like, where is Malachi? It's not as hard to find as you think. It's the very last book of the Old Testament, right before the New Testament. So if you find a separation in your Bible between Old Testament and New Testament, the last couple pages of the Old Testament is Malachi, and that's where we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3 and Malachi chapter 4. So find that if you would. I start off by uh, telling you something I've discovered. Kids are smart sometimes. They, they tend to choose when they're listening to you and when they're not listening to you, but a lot of times they're listening to you and you don't even know they're listening to you. And they're really, really smart, and they're sharp. And I'll, and I'll give you an example that lets me know that this is true. Um, when, they, when the kids were younger and, uh, you know, we would, we, they would do something wrong, and then we'd, you know, they need to be disciplined and everything like that, we'd try to sit them down, explain to them why they were being disciplined. You know, you did this. This is not honoring to God and that kind of stuff. And, and, and somewhere along the way, I would explain to them, uh, you know, I had this lesson I was going to teach them, Right? I sit them down and I talk to them about it. I said, no, this, listen, this is what should happen. You should be disciplined for disobeying mommy and daddy. But I'm going to show you mercy this time because God shows us so much mercy in our lives. He doesn't always, uh, you know, we do something wrong and right away he, he, uh, he deals with it. Sometimes he, he gives us tremendous mercy. And so my kids were like, well, that's, that's, that's cool. It's different. <laughs> and then... Uh, wouldn't you know, like, th- then after that, it seemed like every time they were going to be disciplined, they would say, hey, Dad, can we have mercy? Right? And, and they were, and what I was trying to do was teach them that, that as a father, I want to emulate the good father, the heavenly father, right? And uh, they got that. And they were asking for me to be merciful every single time. I was like, but, th- but then it was an opportunity to say, well, but here's the thing. Like, yes, many times God doesn't allow us to suffer the consequences of what we do, but there are many times in which he does, you know, discipline us and, and causes us to, to endure the consequences of what we did. So it was a good object lesson, but it's amazing to me how kids hear something and then they, they bury it away and they use it against you later. So, but the point is this, that the relationship between our heavenly father and us as his children is beautiful and on earth, us earthly fathers get to mirror that. We get to reflect the the relationship that the heavenly father has with us. That's really what it means to be a dad. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have two main parts of the sermon. First part is the heavenly father and his children, gospel beauty. And then the second part will be the earthly father and his children, which is gospel reflection. So even if you're not a dad, hopefully the first part will be a a real blessing to your soul. And then we're gonna look at, okay, dads, what does that mean for us? So Malachi 3 is where we're going to be, and we're going to start off with this idea of 
gospel beauty, the heavenly father and his children, gospel beauty. Now you may, you may have never read Malachi before, I don't know. So before we read it, let me just give you a little background. Malachi is the name of a prophet and this prophet served in Judah about a hundred years after the Babylon, Babylonian captivity was over. So, you know, the, the king gives an edict that says you can return to your land. The children of Israel start to migrate back to the land of Israel, back to Judah. And about a hundred years after they've been released, this is when Malachi is serving. We don't know much about Malachi. In fact, his name, Malachi, means messenger. So it could actually be like a symbolic name for him. We don't know really much at all about this prophet other than that he's ministering to people who are really disillusioned, who are really discouraged right now. And the reason they're really discouraged and they're really disillusioned is because they've been there for 100 years and life has not been this prosperous thing that they thought it would be. You know, go back to the land, be God's people. But it hasn't been all that it's cracked up to be. In fact, they're wondering, is, there, is it really worth it to be a person who follows Yahweh? Is there really any distinction between the good, righteous Jewish people and the wicked people? Is there really any difference at all? And they start to live in such a way that is dishonoring to God. And so there's a lot of discouragement in the land. There's a lot of darkness in the land. And so Malachi begins ministering. And then we have this book of Malachi. Now, Malachi begins and ends. If you were to look at the first couple verses and the last couple verses, it begins and ends with the love of God. This special love that God has for his people in contrast to the judgment that God has for those that are wicked and those that reject him. So from the very beginning and, and then the very end, we have this special love of God for his children. Now, one of the things I want to do today is I want you to show, show you that the gospel can be found in every single book, even in the Old Testament, even in the obscure ones like Malachi. The gospel is there. Jesus is seen. And so we're going to do that. Let's read together Matthew 3, 16 through 4, 6. So find chapter 3. It's a big number 3. And find little number 16. That's Malachi 3, 16. And let's read Malachi 3, 16 through 4, 6. All right? So follow along with me here. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Chapter four, verse one. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the st stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, verse 5, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, 
That may be the first time you've ever read that in Malachi. And my guess is it might be the first sermon you've heard from Malachi, at least in a really long time. I promise you that the gospel is in this book of the Bible. And what I want to start by doing is just explain what I mean by the gospel. Because gospel is a word we throw around a lot. What do I mean by the gospel? The gospel in its simplest uh, definition is good news. That's what it means, okay? Good news. And the gospel is the good news that it's an announcement that Jesus' kingdom has come and Jesus is king and this Jesus that came actually lived the perfect life that I could never live. He died the death that I deserve and he rose again as this victorious king building his kingdom and we're supposed to live in victory in light of that victory. We're supposed to live and proclaim this and tell everyone that we know Jesus is king. His kingdom is real. He can save you and bring you into his kingdom. That's the gospel. That's good news. And that's all throughout the Old Testament. That's in the New Testament as well. This announcement of good news. So I want you to see how the gospel is embedded in this passage here in Malachi. And I want us to consider how that ties into the rest of scripture, all right? So all throughout the Old Testament, the gospel is proclaimed by these prophets. And so you'll see the major prophets. You'll see the minor prophets in the Old Testament, right? Here we have this prophet Malachi. And what the prophets did is they, they futuristically said, he's coming. The good news is that Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And so they announced futuristically, he's going to be here. His kingdom will be established and that's what, that's what the prophets all do. And we see that in Malachi 4, 2, verse A. And I'm going to get into this a little bit more in a while here. But it says, Malachi 2, you can look at that if you have your text open. He says, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And I'll show you in a little bit that that's Jesus, okay? This son of righteousness, Jesus, is coming. So Malachi does what all the prophets do. He says, the good news is he's coming. His kingdom is here. And then if you think about all the prophets in the Old Testament, they all lead up to the final prophet who the Bible says is John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Jesus. And John the Baptist is in this passage, and I'll show you that in a little bit. And so all the prophets up to John the Baptist say, he's coming. And John the Baptist says, he's here. And this is the gospel, the announcement of good news that Jesus is here to change the world. So the gospel is prophesied by these prophets. It's proclaimed by Christ. When Christ gets here, what does he say? My kingdom is here. I mean, how many parables does he have about the kingdom? And he explains that this is the, 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 the world that I'm creating. And then it's fulfilled by Christ. He dies. He's buried. He rises again. This is the gospel. So this whole book is about the good news, okay? The whole book is about the good news, God is building a kingdom and he's calling people out of the kingdom of darkness and moving them into the kingdom of light. That's the gospel. And we see it here in Malachi. Now, I want you to, though, first of all, realize that whenever the good news is proclaimed, whenever the good news that Jesus is coming and he's setting up his kingdom, whenever that's proclaimed, wherever it's proclaimed, it's only good news for half of the people. Or we, we could say it this way. It's only good news for one of the two different groups of people that always exist at all times. And the book of Malachi, this is true, because in the book of Malachi, if you were to read it, there's a distinction between two groups, okay? Two groups. One group is the wicked and the rebellious, and the other group is the obedient, those who fear God, those who've honored God. Two groups of people in the world. The wicked, those that reject Jesus Christ, those that are believing in Jesus Christ, those that are trying to follow Jesus Christ, trying to honor him with their life, okay? It's a righteous versus wicked motif that's all throughout the Bible. Psalms, Proverbs, you can see it everywhere, okay? Now, 
Interestingly, in the book of Malachi, there's a lot of judgment, okay, for those that reject Jesus, those reject Yahweh. And there is this blessing and this love poured out on those that accept him. And in the book of Malachi, I find this interesting, and this is why I'm sharing it on Father's Day. God actually uses this familial term of father and son. And so throughout the book, he shows us that he's the father and we are his children. And then the last couple of verses talk to fathers and sons. So I think that's pretty neat. Maybe you've never seen that before. So what I want to do is I want to see the beauty First, of God's relationship with his people, father and children, okay? So first, I want you to see that the father turns his heart towards his children. God the father turns his heart towards all of his children. So if you have your Bible open, and this isn't on the screen, just flip back probably one page to chapter one and look at verse six. And I just want you to show you a couple verses of the father and son uh, paradigm here. So Malachi one, verse six says this. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor, God says. The people of Israel are not honoring him. Okay, now look at chapter 2, verse 10. Chapter 2, verse 10 says, and this is Judah speaking, this is the people of Israel. Have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Again, God the Father. Chapter 3, verse 17. Back to where we are in our text. Malachi 3, 17 says this, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man who spares his son who serves him. So in the book of Malachi, God is saying the gospel is about a father and his children. So he uses these familial, familial terms. Now, despite the incredible spiritual darkness right now in Judah, God does not turn his back on his people. He's a good, good father. He should just be done with them. He should just be done with them, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Here is, if you read through the book of Malachi, and you can see how short it is, right? Maybe you'll go home and you'll read it all today or soon. But throughout this book, we see this is what the state of, of, of spirituality is in Israel right now. One, going through the motions of worship, half-hearted worship giving God leftovers. The people are not honoring God with their whole heart. They're not giving him the best. They're kind of half-heartedly coming into worship. And that's the spiritual state. Also, the priests and the leaders are not taking their calling seriously. God says, why are you not taking, you know, sons of Levi, why are you not taking your calling seriously? I'd argue that all the leaders of Israel at this time are not taking their calling seriously. I'd argue that the dads are not taking their calling seriously. Why do I say that? Because at the end of the chapter, he says, there's somebody coming. And he's going to proclaim, he's going to proclaim, you know, Jesus is coming. And then he talks about the son of righteousness. And what's going to happen is the hearts of the fathers are going to be turned towards the children. And the hearts of the children are going to be turned towards the fathers. Because at this point, there's separation. There's, there's animosity. So I don't think the fathers are doing their job. None of the leaders are. There's a lack of faithfulness in marriages. He speaks on divorce in, in Malachi. He speaks on men who are, who are not treating their wives well, who have abandoned them, who don't care about them. So that's going on. You have injustice, a lack of concern for the poor, the orphan, and the immigrant in Malachi. And you have a selfishness with finances, a lack of generosity. That's all in these four chapters, okay? This is the people of Israel right now. They're in a dark state spiritually. God's people had plunged themselves into disobedience, despair, darkness, 
And what they all deserved, what every single one of them deserved was the judgment that God talks about in this book. And there's a, there's a number of verses that talk about his judgment. He says this. He says, when my people build the wall or they build it up, I will tear it down. This is what God says, okay? He says he's going to send a curse on the wicked. There's this famous uh, phrase in Malachi, and, and it's talking about when Jesus comes back again. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He's going to come, and he's going to come in judgment for many people. And then he says, I will draw near to you with judgment. And there are a bunch of others that I'm just not even listing. This book has judgment for those that are wicked. And my point is that every single one of them deserved it. Every single one of us deserves judgment for the ways in which we've lived. Embracing the good news, the gospel, first means embracing the bad news. And that is that because of our sinfulness, we deserve judgment and we deserve separation from God. And the only thing that separates God's children and distinguishes them from those that are wicked is the free grace and mercy of God. That's the only thing that distinguishes those of us who are God's children, that he's our good, good father, and those that Malachi talks about who will be judged, who, will be, who, who Jesus will visit with this wrath. What's the difference? The grace of God, the free grace of God. That's it. God's mercies never fail, the Bible says. And God is patient with his children who wander, and we all do. Isn't it true that parents have compassion on their children? Well, most parents, I guess. But here's what Ian Duguid said. He said this, We may generally find children's antics cute and their smiles engaging, but there is a special love and care that we have for our own children. We hold them all night when they scream as babies. We spend hours telling them the same stories over and over again. We are patient with their teenage mood swings. We know something about that in our house. That's, parents have mood swings too. So, And we are compassionate towards their adult mistakes and heartaches in a way that we cannot be for everyone. So too God has a special delight and compassion for those who truly belong to him. That's how God treats his children. There's a distinction between God's children and the rest of the world. That's what Malachi says. Now I want you to notice the tender heart of God in our text. So look at chapter 3, verse 17, and just notice what God says about his people. And I really want you to get this today because this, whether you're a father or not, we have a good, good father. Here's his heart. And this is what he says in in chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 17. He's talking about his people and he says, they shall be mine. They shall be mine. I think of those little heart candies, the little chalky ones. They're kind of disgusting. But they say, be mine, you know, those little, remember those? I don't know, do they still have those? Kids, do you see them? Okay. Jesus says, or God says here, you are mine. My people are mine. In fact, he also says, you're my treasured possession. Now, in other places in the prophets, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. Same thing. You're mine. You're my treasured possession. And this treasured possession name is an affectionate name that God used when he first established the covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. He says, you're my treasured possession. So they would have thought of that and gone, that's right, God has a covenant with us. We are special. We are loved by God. In the book of Deuteronomy, it's used a lot. And once in the book of Psalms, I'll tell you what God is doing here. What God is doing is he is shaping the identity of his people. He's reminding them of who they are. Right? We just sang about it. Who are we? We're loved by you. You're a good, good father. 
That's who you are, right? And we're loved by you. That's who we are. It's, it's our identity, who we are as God's people. He says, you're mine. You're my treasured possession. How good does it feel to have God claim us? To have God say, you are mine. Do you realize this, brother and sister? Do you realize that the God of the universe, if you're his child, he says, you're mine. You're my treasured possession. Sometimes I think, and I've been guilty of this, we think God just kind of puts up with us, you know? It's like, yes, he justified us. As judge, he said, you are innocent. And then he kind of like, yeah, I'll put up with you. You, I I don't know if you guys remember, but we used to have wallets and they had like a plastic like thing you would put all your pictures in. Maybe somebody here still has one, but now we have smartphones. We whip out our smartphones and say, let me show you my kids. You know, we, we show everyone our, we're proud of our kids. But back in the day, dads used to pull out their wallet and they used to go, or maybe if they had one kid, it was like, but, and they showed this picture of their child. They were so proud, right? To share with everyone else their, their child. And I, I thought I was thinking about it this way. If Satan were to come up to God and be like, yeah, who, who are your children anyway? He's not like, yeah, I got some kids, but we don't need to talk about it. There's, like, it's been really tough lately. <laughs> if Satan were to say that, God would just pull out this massive billfold thing with all of our pictures in it. He'd be like, these are my children. You are my treasured possession. And I gotta, I gotta remind myself of this because I sometimes think God just kind of like has to love me because he's bound himself to it, so now he's gonna love me. No, he's, he's proud of me. And why would he be proud of me? Because of Jesus, because of Jesus and his righteousness. I just want you to hear that this morning, that God says if you're his child, you are his. You're his treasured possession. He loves you. He sings over you, Zephaniah says. This is God. This is our good, good father. Now, we need to remember this. This is like medicine for our souls because we struggle with identity, And I don't care if you're a kid, a teen, or an adult. We all struggle with our identity. Now, when you're young, it's super hard, right? You're trying to figure out who am I? What am I known for? Like when I was really little, every recess we had had a soccer game. And there was my team and there was Sean Fye's team. And I loved the fact that like I had my own team. Like I'm a soccer player. That's who I am, you know? You're trying to figure it out as a kid. I remember being a high schooler, being super tiny and being picked on all the time. And one time my friends talking me into picking on another kid. And I did it. Which is crazy because I hated when people picked on me. But what did I, I just wanted to have an identity. I wanted to know who I was. Oh, I'm not the picked on kid today. Great. <laughs> and, and we just so badly want to have an identity. I honestly think that's one of the main reasons for social media, right? Who am I? Here, I'll tell you who I am. This is what I'm passionate about. This is what my dog's like. You know, this is my political view, right? I mean, all this stuff. And hey, I'm not... I'm guilty sometimes too, but like, we, this is who I am. Do we have identity problems? Sometimes we do. We do. We just want to know who am I? And God is saying, this is who you are. You are mine. You're my treasured possession. See, once we realize who we are in Christ, who we are, that our Father loves us, that allows us to, to have our identity in our family, in our school, in our workplace. We know who we are because God has told us who we are. And, and for those of you who don't have a healthy family, because we probably have somebody like that, all the more important to think about God as your father and this church as your family. You have a family, brothers and sisters, who help give you that identity. But really, God the Father is who sets it. Now, when I look through the book of Malachi, I realize that we are given the status of sonship, though we don't deserve it. These people had made a mockery of God's law. I mean, it's bad. 
And he's still saying, there's, there's some that I love. They're, you're my treasured possession. You're mine. God turns his heart towards them. Second thing is the father points his children to the perfect son. So God the father loves all his children, okay? Those who he's called out of darkness into light. But there is one son who God the father loves the most. And that's his son, Jesus Christ. He loves Jesus Christ. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have a relationship. And this whole book, this whole book is a testament to the fact that God loves Jesus and that he's showing us Jesus in this book and that the Holy Spirit is pointing us towards Jesus. In fact, in Malachi, this obscure book, we find Jesus. Where do we see Jesus? Well, look at chapter four, verse two. And first thing we see is that the Son is a son. S-O-N is a S-U-N, son. And so this sun of righteousness that's rising with healing in its wings, what is that? I mean, it's the only place in the whole Bible that phrase is used, okay? But when you look at the context, you understand something fascinating. This sun, quote unquote, is going to rise. And when he rises, he's going to burn up all of the wickedness and all of the evildoers. And simultaneously, that sun is going to have healing for all those that fear God. This is Jesus. <laughs> this is Jesus. When he comes again, it's going to be so bright that for those who are wicked and who oppose him, it will be destruction. But for those who fear him, it will be healing. That's powerful. This is Jesus Christ right here. And of course, in the, in the prophet Isaiah, in the book of Revelation, we talk about the glory of God being our light. And in Revelation, it says the lamb, Jesus, the lamb will be our light. So there's, there's other places in scripture that back this up, okay? Actually, I noticed it was in one of the songs we sang today too. That sun is going to come and he's going to be bright and we're going to glorify him and worship him. All this is important because our world is pretty dark. Our world is a dark world. Do you guys feel that right now? I mean, I feel that sometimes Maybe, maybe in some ways now more than I ever have in my life. What are some of the, what's some of the darkness? What's some of the brokenness that faces families today? Well, one is marriages that, that fall apart, right? I mean, in the book of Malachi, we have husbands not treating their wives the way they're supposed to. Does that happen today? Yeah. We have marriages that fall apart. We have, we have divorce. We have all these things that are unfortunate results of our sin, and it hurts families. It hurts families. We have disrespect for authority. It feels like, you know, death just erodes, Right? And those of you who are older than me can tell me stories, you know. But if you're a teacher today in school, you face a lot of disrespect. <laughs> As a parent, you face a lot of disrespect. And I don't think it was just Bart Simpson that started this whole thing. It's been in culture for a while, and it's just been like slowly eroding. We have no respect. We have the spirit of the age, which basically is, yeah, dishonor your mother and father, individualism, be your own person, narcissism relativism, my truth is not your truth. And this, all of this breaks down families. All of this makes a dark place for families to exist. We have financial pressures. We have ideology differences. Those of you who have older kids, you may have different political views than your older children, right? We have a lot of, a lot of strife in families. And it's in this dark world that Jesus and his salvation shines brightly. Jesus, the son of righteousness, shines bright. So if you're experiencing some darkness in your family today, I just want to encourage you to take heart because Jesus has come and he's coming again. And when he comes again, his coming is going to be so bright and he has healing in his wings. He's bringing a world where there is no darkness, where there is no strife, where there is no disrespect between fathers and children. It's going to be beautiful. 
The son is a son, but also the son is a savior. In chapter three, verse 17, in chapter four, verse six, I'm not gonna spend time on this because I've already said that destruction comes for those who disrespect God. But Jesus saves us from that destruction. The son is a savior. And this is central to the good news, right? I mean, what is the good news really other than Jesus is saving us from ourselves? He's saving us from destruction, which is why the end of the whole Old Testament ends with this verse. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's how the Old Testament ends. And then we have hundreds of years of silence, nothing. And then we have Jesus come, right? And Jesus comes, this son of righteousness. It's specifically the gospel. And kind of, you know, the the Old Testament ends with this idea of like, who is this prophet like Elijah? Because remember, Elijah already came. This is another prophet. So they're wondering, who is this prophet and when will he come? And they're just waiting and then Jesus comes. The only reason that God can spare you and me, the only reason that he can spare us from destruction is because Jesus came. Because Jesus is this savior, that Jesus came. And again, he lived a life perfectly. He died in my place on the cross. I should be there for all my disobedience against that father. But Jesus did for me. And so because of that, I can be a child of God, adopted, like we sang today. That's the gospel. Now, this destruction and judgment of God is not a joke. And so if this is a situation in which you have never trusted in Jesus Christ and bowed your heart to the Savior, to Jesus, and said, you know what, not, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to live for you, Jesus. If that's where you are, then today I want to encourage you to do that because there's more important things than even the strife in your family. There could be strife between you and God. Now, one last thing. I want to notice that children of God fear him and obey him. So father to children, but also children to father. I mean, think about this. In chapter three, verses 16 through 18, we have this idea of those that are my children obey me. They honor me, he says. And that's just the way that God's children live. They seek and they try to obey their father. We mess up all the time. (laughs) But we're striving to be those kind of children. We want to please our father. That's that's part of our DNA now that we're a child of God. And the fear of the Lord in chapter 3, verse 16, twice is mentioned. And in chapter 4, verse 2, children of God fear him. They try to honor him. Now, all of this that we just drew out of the text is all just this rich background of the gospel, okay? This is the beauty of the gospel. And now what I want to do in the last remaining minutes here is I want to say, how does that apply to our parent-child relationships? As a dad, what do I do about that? If I'm supposed to reflect this beautiful gospel, if I'm supposed to reflect the good, good father, what does that mean for me? All right, so let's look at the earthly father and his children. And that's just gospel reflection, Now, we always talk about marriage as more than just marriage between a man and woman, right? Because the Bible says a marriage is not just about a man and woman. It reflects what? The Bible says it reflects Christ and the church, right? So marriage isn't just a man and a woman compatible. It's Christ and the church, okay? Is it possible that that, that parenting is more than just parent-child, Is it possible that parenting has a spiritual dimension as well? I'd argue that it does. I think Malachi would tell us that it does. Look at verse 5 and 6 again of chapter 4 of Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Just 
I'll just take away the mystery. The Bible says later that that is John the Baptist. Okay, that's what Jesus said. So he says, behold, I will send you John the Baptist, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So God's going to send this prophet like Elijah. It's John the Baptist. And according to Malachi 4, part of his mission, this is interesting to me, part of his mission is to reunite fathers and children. To take the hearts of fathers and the hearts of children and turn them towards each other. Why? Because sin destroys the relationship between parent and child. And God has to reconcile. God has to bring back together. That's what God does. God is a reconciler. He he reconciles us to himself, right? And he's our father. And then he reconciles us to one another in all relationships, including father and children. And that tells me that there is hope for families in the gospel. The gospel provides hope, and maybe you have a child that's not a Christian, or maybe you have a a parent that's not a Christian. But if the gospel will take root, it's amazing what God can do in a family. It's amazing how God would restore. So what does this look like between fathers and and children? Let's apply it to ourselves as fathers, and I'm just gonna look at the same things we did earlier with, with God the Father. First, dads, do you turn your heart towards your children? Do you turn your heart toward your daughter, your son. And I'm going to say this doesn't come real natural for us as men. It kind of takes intentionality to be tender, to be attentive, to share our heart with them. We're called to speak life and and bolster our kids' identity, to speak life into them. If God the Father speaks our identity, right? You're loved. You're mine. We as dads need to be doing something similar. We need to be saying to our children, because remember, we're modeling God the Father, we need to be saying, you're mine. I'm proud of you. I love you. How often do you do that as a dad? We have an incredible power to bolster the identity of our children, both mothers and fathers. But I'd argue there's a distinct ability you have as a dad to speak life into your child by saying, I love you. You're mine. One of my favorite books I read when the kids were younger is called What a Difference a Daddy Makes. I read it a couple times because a father can make a big impact in the life of daughters or in the life of sons. So dad, how often are you doing that? How often are you saying you're loved, you're mine? Notice it says turn in in chapter four, verse six, turn your hearts. We tend to live self-focused life, lives. We tend to be caught up in our work as dads. We're trying so hard to provide for the family and hey, work is hard. We come home and sometimes we're distant. Sometimes we're hovering over our kids and we're just kind of going through life parallel with them, but we're not actually on the ground walking through things with them, sharing our hearts with them, asking them how they're feeling, how they're doing. We need to model the Heavenly Father. I know parenting is tiring. Like you work hard at work and then you come home and you're like, parenting is tiring. The kids do the same things and they disobey the same ways over and over and over and over again. Just like the children of Israel disobeyed their father again and again and again and again. Just like you disobey your heavenly father again and again and again. We're no different. Are you modeling the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God, Dad? Are you modeling that? Second, do you point your children to the perfect son, S-O-N? Do you point your children to the perfect son, and not in like, well, if Jesus was a child, he would do this. Why don't you do this? Not necessarily that. 
I'm more saying, like, do you, is your home about Jesus? Do your kids know that it's all about him? Do they know that it's all about Jesus? Or do they think it's just about being a good boy or a good girl? If that's what they think life is about, if that's what they think Christianity is about, then we're, they're not getting it from us. We have to show them that it's about Jesus. The goal of parenting is not to produce good boys and good girls. The goal of parenting is to produce Jesus-loving people, people who know that it's about Jesus. They love Jesus. So what does that mean, parent? What does that mean, dad? It means pointing your kids to Jesus by opening the word and showing them Jesus, having family devotional time or family worship. And we're not always faithful with this or consistent, right? But it means talking about Jesus in the home. Not just like, I don't want you to do that, that's bad. I want you to do that, that's good. When the kids are little, we found before bed was a good time for that. When they get older, that doesn't always work. You go to bed before they do, okay, sometimes. So at dinner time might be a good time, whatever it might be. And if you say, well, my routine, we just still can't do it, then try to change your routine. Try to change something. There should be some time in a day, at least for a moment, that you're all together. Try. And coronavirus has been a blessing in disguise for some people because it's totally messed up the routine and it's allowed us to have some time with one another. Your children are growing up in a dark world today, okay? And what they need more than a really good paying job and a storybook family is Jesus. They need Jesus. They need to see Jesus. That's what they need most of all. They need to see the brightness of Jesus invading their darkness. This will bring hope and meaning and healing into their life. So, fathers, are we pointing our kids to Jesus? Are we modeling the heavenly father and turning our hearts towards them? Are we pointing them to Jesus? Here's one thing for children, because you can't get away, you know, scot-free here. So if you're a kid in here today, children, do you show honor and obedience to your father? Like, oh, I, I like, let's go back to dads. No, right? Kids, do you show honor and respect to your parents? I see a head nodding. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm sure not 100% of the time, but I, I, I believe that. There can be a lot of reasons why you as a child are tempted not to obey your dad, to respect your dad. One is stress of life. One is emotions. One could be the hurt that you've experienced from him. Here's another one. Dads do dumb stuff, okay? Dads do dumb stuff. Even those of us who are trying to be godly dads, we do dumb stuff. I'll just give you one of ex many examples I could give you from my life. I was thinking this week, and I remembered back to a time, I believe it was Avery, but she was, you know, we were having a struggle. She was being disobedient, and all I did was just start quoting Scripture loudly over her. Like, I, I just kept saying, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, or something like that, and uh, for this is right. And um, just tried to shut her down, you know. If I would have kept uh, going a few more verses, I would have gotten to, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, right? <laughs> didn't, didn't do that part. But as dads, we do dumb stuff. And we're even try, trying sometimes to be a godly dad and we do ridiculous things. And so I know it's hard to respect your parents sometimes. I get it. We're flawed human beings. We're sinners. The reason it's really hard is because we're sinners. You have sin. We have sin. Sin drives a wedge. It causes us to be self-focused. I just want to say this. If you're a child in here, and many of us are older children, we still have parents we need to respect. You have a high calling to reflect the gospel by submitting and respecting your parents. That looks different when you're an adult. But when you respect your parents, you can also showcase the beauty of the gospel. 
This is what a child of God does. A child of God tries to obey his heavenly father and I'm gonna try to respect and honor my earthly father. If you do this, you're gonna stand out. Child, if you do this, you're gonna stand out. Your friends will be like, it's really weird you never talk trash about your parents. What's up with that, you know? You'll stand out. You'll be able to share Christ. So I just want to close by saying we have to be gospel-centered families. we got to be gospel-centered families. Dads, moms, we need to be, you know, reflecting the beauty of the gospel. Children, you need to be reflecting the beauty of the gospel. Uh, here, listen to this. A lack of gospel integrity leads to strife in the family. It just does. When we don't reflect the gospel accurately, it causes strife in our family. Why? Because, Dad, you're supposed to emulate the Heavenly Father. And when we fail to do that, we bring difficulty in the family. We bring sin into the family. But a restoration of gospel integrity leads to peace and healing in families. And this is where I want to leave you with some hopes. Because, Dads, we make a lot of mistakes. Moms, we make a lot of mistakes. It's true. But there's always hope. There's always hope. There's always hope for redemption. You know, the Bible talks about how the sins of fathers can be visited on the children and grandchildren, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but that's super sobering for me as a dad. Like when I read that my sin could be like visited on, like do you ever see your dad and your grandfather's struggles become your struggles? I've seen that. That is sobering, dads. Very sobering. But I also want to tell you this. Your humility and your repentance and your Christ's likeness can be visited upon your kids too. I really believe that if you and I will cause ourselves to be humble enough to repent and say, kids, dad, was, dad sinned. I messed up. I didn't, reflect, I didn't reflect God like I should have. I'm sorry. Your children will notice that too. And hopefully your, you know, your forgiveness from God can be modeled for your kids. They can learn what it means to repent, what it means to say you're sorry, what it means to say, I'm not perfect. Will you forgive me? And that, I believe, can also be visited upon the next generation and the next generation. So maybe you have inherited some stuff from your family. I don't know. Just remember that God can turn that around. If we will model the gospel that we see in Malachi, and God will change our families. And what will happen? The hearts of children will be turned to fathers. The hearts of fathers will be churn, uh, turned, churned, maybe churned too, but turned towards children. That's what God does. He brings about reconciliation. This is the high calling of, of being a dad. It is. This is the high calling of being a dad is you're able to reflect your heavenly father. I'll leave you with this quote from uh, Spurgeon. I love it, is what he said. He said, you are, as much, you are as much serving God in looking after your own children and training them up in God's fear and minding the house and making your household a church for God as you would be if you had been called to lead an army to battle for the Lord of hosts. Because dad, you're actually, you're actually training up warriors for, for Christ's kingdom, right? So don't just think, yeah, my work's really important, what I do in my job. Yeah, that's important. But you have an ability to model the heavenly father and disciple your kids in such a way that you're producing warriors for his kingdom. That's a high calling. That is a high calling. Let us do that high calling in soberness and in trusting in God.